Welcome to the Flip the Script podcast. I'm your host, Denali, and I'm a full-time reseller on eBay and Poshmark. You can find me on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok as El Ducho Thrift. I'm very excited about this week's guest. It is actually my third time interviewing this person on the podcast, and their name is Jade. You can find Jade on Instagram under the username Fashion Without Trashin, and all of that information will be in the show notes of this episode for you. Jade is a good friend of mine, and I've so enjoyed getting to interview her through the years. She shares so much of her journey in all of the episodes that we've done, so definitely check those out and give them a listen if you haven't heard them yet. But without further ado, enjoy this episode. Hi, Jade. Thanks for being on the podcast with me again. Hello. (laughs) I'm so excited to have you here, Jade. I was thinking about this and I think you're my first time third interview. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Ooh. I know, which is so exciting. I'm so excited to have like my first third update. (laughs) It sounds really (laughs) weird to say, but I had reached out to you a couple of months ago to see if you wanted to do it because it seemed like we were on this every two-year cycle since I started the podcast. Also, I can't believe you've had the podcast that long. I mean, you've done- I know. done such a great job. I remember when you were starting it. I know. It's kind of crazy. I mean, I took a little bit of time off with it, but I'm back. So, you know, we'll just pretend that that was just- um, a little nap that the podcast took for a little while. But we first spoke in September 2019, and then last recorded in January of 2021. And I know a lot has happened in your life since that time. But I I actually just listened to our last recording. And I wanted to kind of run you through some of the stuff, the little bullet points that we talked about just to kind of jog your memory on where on you, where you were in 2021. So uh, let's see, what did we talk about? Okay, so the first thing, one of the first things that you mentioned is that you were starting to work with donation-based partners or maybe had already started a few months prior. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then not too long after that is when the We Wore What fiasco, I guess I'll call it a fiasco, happened. And Mm. (laughs) right. Also around that time or not too long after you got a new apartment, you were doing some bulk offerings in your business, which you said grew your business by uh, four, four X. Yeah. Um, Your husband had just joined your business and you also your friend Anna had joined your business. So you were taking on some employees and then you had also hired another outside person to help you with your business. Then you also talked about having partners uh, who would drop off inventory to you. I'm guessing that that is maybe, I'm not sure if that leads back into the donation-based partners. And then, you know, we didn't talk about this in that episode because it came a few months later, but you actually opened a store for those who might not be aware of that, but she opened a store in May. But when I asked you about your plans for the future back in January, you had mentioned that you were producing some headbands, like as a collaboration with another designer, 
you were creating dress shirts, which is kind of like a, a literal statement there <laughs> in, <laughs> <Yes>. that, <laughs> in that they were men's shirts that no longer had a use for them. And you were creating dresses. You were producing dresses out of these dress shirts, which is really cool. You had started a new Depop store, which was going well. And in regards to content creation, you kind of touched on, you know, you'd wanted to maybe do some course content, but that was something that, you know, was, it just takes a lot of logistics and work. So I guess with all that said, Jade, wow, <laughs> I know, really, right. Really packed How it in you? the last episode. <laughs> I know we re- we covered a lot actually. So, you know, since we last recorded on January 25th, 2021, my question for you is how have you been doing and how has your business changed and grown since then? Well, I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. (laughs) Um, My business has changed a lot since January of 2021. I won't say that it's grown because I think I've actually had the opposite. The business has gotten smaller And there are many reasons for that. So yeah, I'm continuing to kind of move in that direction, actually, leaning into slimming it down. I mean, I think everybody's very aware of our economy and what's going on in the world. So, you know, being more frugal and having less overheads is something that I'm trying to work towards so that I still have longevity. So in regards to working with donation-based partners, I still do that, but just not in the same way. You know, being in this business, I've experienced so many different types of ways of getting inventory. And I've worked with a lot of different people. I've seen a lot of things behind closed doors that public doesn't generally get to see and that most resellers don't get to see unless they're working like hand in hand with these other businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, At the time, it was still fairly new for me working with these donation-based partners for clothing. And I, you know, this was before I had my store as well. There were just a lot of corners that were being cut by the other businesses. There were safety issues there. I had many concerns on, you know, the ethics behind a lot of things going on there. And I think you're very well aware of knowing me for so long that I take pretty seriously what I'm associated with and my own Mm -hmm. reputation. So being associated with those types of things just wasn't the most comfortable for me at the time. And I'm not going to name any places or any things like that, but I will say that there are people in the industry that do not care at all about sustainability. And I don't think that that's that surprising, but just some of the things that would come out of suppliers mouths and the way I was treated. And, you know, there was one incident where I was working in a warehouse and I kept telling the person, you know, I, I was paying to be inside this warehouse to have access to this inventory on one hand, and then also to like store inventory there. So I was paying like over a couple grand a month just to be in this mm-hmm. team warehouse and have this little corner basically. And I was also helping to maintain their space. So I was like working for them, which was another thing, but you know, there were situations that were unsafe within this warehouse. And every time I would bring it up to this particular supplier, they really brushed it off. And my final 
like straw was when I said, listen, the, the plugs are sparking in here. Like we try to plug something in, they're blowing up and they're like sparking out. Like this one almost caught fire. And when I told them that they kind of shrugged and they said, well, that's what insurance is for. And I said, like, excuse me, we're inside of here. Our lives. I'm sorry. I don't care what your insurance is. That doesn't insure my life. You know, that doesn't ensure that I'm not going to die in a fire here. And it was also attached to a building where people lived. So I was like, yeah, no, I can't keep doing this. Like, it's just not safe. And that's actually when I started really looking for a different space and for a retail space. And I didn't know if I was going to keep working with that supplier or other ones or what was going to happen, but you know, whatever. Eventually I stopped working with that supplier because they, and this happens with every type of supplier. I I feel like it's like, as soon as they see you having success on social media or on your online, on anything, they want to raise the prices. They want to continuously raise the price, raise the price, raise the price, raise the price. And it's like, okay, that there's a reason why I can get this price for something and you're not getting it. It's like, you're not willing to do any of this other work. You have the supply, but you're not willing to do all of the work that's involved with this. So this is how much your items mm-hmm. worth without putting that work into it. And without having 20 plus years of me working in what I do to add that value. So it's really offensive sometimes when they'll say like, oh, well, you're getting this much for them. You should be paying me more. You should be paying me more. And it's like, well, then you pick the stuff out and charge me for it, you know? Right. So I just saw that trend continuously happening with more than one supplier. And I was like, okay, I need to start branching out and seeing other ways of getting inventory and running the business. And as I've kind of always told myself, I need to keep like a solid rotation of suppliers and and ways to maintain inventory because you just never know when one's going to fall out. And they always do. Your honey hole will dry up eventually. This will close. That will move, you know, whatever. So something eventually happens with every supplies, you know, source. So I think constantly making sure that you're kind of in search of another one or keeping yourself a bit padded in that sense is something I was looking towards. So that led me to looking for another space and that ended up being the shop. And I originally just wanted to get the shop to store the product and work out of there, but it is kind of in a small town and, you know, just above Manhattan for those Mm -hmm. who don't know where Hastings on Hudson is. It's on the Hudson river, just, just above the city. And they said to me, well, we want a store here. Like we don't want to rent it to somebody that's not going to like have an open storefront because, you know, it's a small town. They want to keep the vibe going there. And, And I completely understood that. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm opening a store. (laughs) Um, I was like, challenge accepted, I guess. And so, well, I can just use the front third of this space. And then the back two thirds can be the back of house. And then we had downstairs in a basement, about 400 square feet down there. And we'll like pack and ship from there and store product that's already online and everything. And then we kind of executed that and got a shop front, which was pretty wild. We got it open within, I think, two and a half months. It was a lot of work and a learning curve, certainly. I, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't know what you don't know. You really don't. (laughs) You can seek out advice, ask people, whatever, but until you're like really doing something and in the weeds, 
I, you just don't know. And it's different everywhere for everything. So it was some challenges and it's still some challenges. <laughs> uh, and this, the shop front is, you know, something I really made the decision based off of three of us being in the business. And that's where we can kind of segue to, you know, when I had spoken to you last, I had a husband <laughs> and he had just joined the business. <laughs> um, no longer together. And he's not a part of the business. So when I was calculating the numbers for the overhead and running the business out of the shop front, it was calculated based on three people working full time in order to mm -hmm. produce enough to cover the overheads, our wages, our this, our that, whatever. Well, you know, when my husband and I separated, then it was just Anna and I. And I will say mm -hmm. that it does not work with two people. <laughs> like it, There's too much overhead to maintain it in the way that it makes sense. So it's been definitely a struggle in that regard in the past, you know, year, a little over a year, year and a half, maybe. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now with the store. And I've really contemplated and thought about it a lot of like, do I want to keep doing this? This is another job on top of my job. And mm -hmm. it somebody to physically be there in order to make money. It's very different than making your schedule and posting things online because you have to physically be there in order to make sales. So, and yeah, I don't know if I will, I, I'm on the fence of whether or not I will keep the store. The lease is up next March, February or March or something like that. So I have a little bit of time to decide and see what happens, but if it's based on the sales alone that come into the store, the town is just too small and the foot traffic is not there. So I have to base it on whether or not it makes sense to have the space in general for the online business. And I don't think that it does. I think that I will probably move back to having the business in my home or out of a smaller space or something like this and not having the shop front. Are you tired of spending hours sharing and sending offers to likers? Introducing Posher VA, the web program that will save you time and increase your sales. With Posher VA, you can automatically share your closet, send offers to likers, and schedule your share times all with just a few clicks. Using code ELDUCHO, you can try Posher VA for two weeks for free, no credit card required. Posher VA is not just another program, it is your program. Say goodbye to manual sharing and hello to even more time in your business. Try Posher VA today using code ELDUCHO, E-L-D-U-C-H-O. You know, when you said that there was going to be the three of you working as full-time employees and that when it went down to two, that became kind of too much. Do you feel like there was just, I mean, maybe this is the most simple answer, but there wasn't enough bodies that, you know, you weren't all working enough hours in the business and that kind of negatively impacted the store? Well, yeah. So when he left, I mean, there's 40 hours a week then of work 
that he was doing that needs to be filled essentially in order to maintain that amount of revenue coming into the business. And his job primarily was to ship items and he was in charge of cleaning and repairing, you know, like shoes and handbags and then also like watches and stuff like that. He would do that sometimes as well. And then also to photograph those items and list those items. So the clothing and stuff was not listed by him, but the handbag shoes, watches, you know, small items, he would do all of that downstairs. And then he did all of the shipping. Mm -hmm. And then he also did our numbers. So he did, you know, the spreadsheets and this and that. And that is something I'm so bad at that, you know, (laughs) yeah. And I really kind of just let him do his thing, which interestingly enough in the end would kind of end up screwing me over a bit but you know whatever in order to replace him it's not just about getting a body in there for 40 hours a week to do those exact jobs it's about the years that I spent training him and teaching him how to list how to clean and repair things how to you know just do all sorts of stuff, you know, with the shipping, with the this, with the that, with the different platforms, whatever, you know, a level of trust, which I would learn you can't have for anybody, I guess. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so it it's about all of that time and money that goes into training somebody and teaching them about reselling and what keywords to use and all sorts of stuff like that. So um it just felt like a very daunting task to try and get somebody in to do that. And I did have several other employees that would work on occasion in the shop front, but most of them, they just want to work once in a while. They're younger, they're this or that. They're not looking for like a full-time job. And also people that are, that are a little bit older, they don't want to, they're not going to want to work for a lower wage than they can get doing something else. Right. And if my small business can pay that, then it, you know, what do I do? Right. There's not a whole lot of option there for me. Right. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And and you're right. Training somebody to do the work that he was doing, especially being that he had his hand in kind of a lot of different areas, right. It wasn't just like cleaning and repairing. It wasn't just photographing. It wasn't just doing the books. It was like so many different things that you kind of have to really, I mean, you're looking for like a jack of all trades at that point, and you're not going to find somebody that's going to do that for whatever wage that, you know, you might be looking for typically when you're, when you're just looking for a part-time or even a full-time employee. I mean, you're looking at somebody who's highly specialized at that point. Yeah. And, and, you know, the three of us, we all kind of, can cross over into each other's jobs areas and know what to do and things like that. So working as a team, it's like one or two of us was away. The other two knew how to jump in or what are the other one knew how to jump in. So, yeah. So then it just went down to just being Anna and I, and things were okay probably for like a year, but then it just, you know, it just became more and more apparent that, okay, we, we just won't be able to keep up with it, with the overheads and, with the cost of things and the shop front, it was never really intended to make a ton of money. Basically, I just wanted it to make enough to cover the rent, right? For the space. Yeah. And the first year it did that. The second year we saw a, I think 
30% decrease in income in the shop front. Mm. And this year, I, I think it's projected to be even less. So if it's not going to be able to even cover the rent there, I just don't know. I, it just doesn't seem worth it, you know? Yeah. And I'm curious what you attribute that to. I mean, because you said that, you know, you're in a smaller town. Is it the foot traffic that decreased or are you talking about, you know, the online part of it and the economy just changing over the past couple of years or both? (laughs) It's combination. The foot traffic definitely seemed to decrease a little bit. I think still back in 2021, you know, we still weren't traveling a lot of places and people weren't, you know, doing a lot of things out of town still. Um, COVID was still a big factor in our lives and not that COVID has gone away, but, you know, people are just freely traveling and going other places and doing other things. And I think for a small town like that, there's not a ton of stores to like walk around and do things. There's, there's some, it's a cute town and I wish people would come more, (laughs) but it's not, it's not going to fill a whole day, you know, so people don't really make a day of it, I felt like. And I think that's a factor that really affects the town. And I've already seen several businesses leave and, you know, for varying reasons, but still it, it makes a big difference in a small town like that when you have a decent amount of open shop fronts. Right. I mean, has there been any talk from, you know, your landlord or anything about decreasing rents for tenants? I know that's probably so rare (laughs) that they probably don't initiate those sort of conversations. But I mean, at the same time, if they they don't fill those spaces, they're in the same position as you then. Well, (laughs) uh, not for my landlord, but got it. (laughs) Okay. I absolutely love my landlord. She's like an angel. She's extremely nice and flexible and helpful. So I think she does what she can do for me, you know, uh, definitely no talks of a decrease in rent. I haven't spoken to her yet about what will happen if I stay or leave, but it is in my lease that the rent would go up. Right. So in signing a new lease, so I can only assume that they would want it to go up. Right. Yeah, It's my understanding that she owns the building. Her father passed it down to her. So I don't think that, you know, having a vacant spot for a little bit is going to be that huge of a hit. I could be mm-hmm. wrong, though. I don't know their finances. I don't know their, you know, entire situation. But I just don't think it's going to be enough to be like, hey, can I, you know, have way cheaper rent because I'm not making enough money here. Right. Okay. So, you know, with the, the brick and mortar part of the business, you know, decreasing in profitability, I guess kind of still maybe a part two to my question is, you know, have you seen that as well in the online? I mean, our online has definitely decreased, but it's decreased with the consideration of losing one person who was listing a majority. Right. So like, it makes sense. Okay. Decrease. Um, yeah. And then the, the issue then becomes that two of us, sure. It would be great if I didn't have the overhead of the store, if we were doing what we were doing online without the overhead of the store and, and things like that, then we would be doing a lot better. It's something definitely to factor in, but do I have the space to do that? you know, much business from the house? 
probably not. I would need to sell things a lot quicker. I would need to just manage things differently. And having lived with my business for so long before having the store, I can just say it's it's nice to have a living room for once in my life. It's nice to have spaces that aren't completely filled with work, which I right. had. So I really don't want to go back to that. Um, mm-hmm. So much so to the point where, you know, we talked, you said I was talking about having my new apartment in the last episode and I'm still in that apartment by <laughs> hanging by a string though, because they continuously mm-hmm. have raised this rent absolutely exorbitant amounts. I think the last time was like 20% or something. Wow. So it, it's so, so, so egregious. That was a whole other story talking about this apartment building, but <laughs> um but it's not going to house all of the business here. And also it's just, I know when my lease is up here, which happens to be in January and the lease for the shops open, uh, you know, in February, it's kind of coinciding within like the same month. So it almost feels kind of like mm-hmm. a science to me. And if they raise this rent again, there's just no way you know? So I've actually been looking at some houses or other, not to buy, unfortunately, but to rent that have Mm -hmm. more space and specifically like finished basements with like, you know, a thousand square feet or something. So that it makes sense to be able to have my business there. Yeah. I mean, that would be a nice option. I, I completely agree with you. You know, both of us kind of moved our businesses out in or around the same time. And and once you move it out of your living space, yeah. it's, you know, some people, it really works for them and kudos to those folks, but some people really, it they find it to be too chaotic or too cluttered, or they can't shut themselves off from the business or what have you. And so once you have it out, it's really, it's hard to imagine it being back in. However, to that, I will say, I always think the, the basement situations are the best. Yeah, they, it seems like it. When I see other people who do seem to like it um, from their home, it seems like they have separate areas yes. that are dedicated to their business. And it's not as commingled as mine had always previously been. Right. Yeah. Somewhere where you can like shut a door and you don't look at it. <laughs> right. You don't have to see it. You can, you know, if you're too tired from the day, you can just leave the mess there and, and shut the door and go into the other room or go upstairs or whatever. You know, in my apartment that I have now, there's just no way. <laughs> so, right. so yeah, we, I would have to change that. So th- it's, there's going to be a lot of change probably in the next year for me. I don't know exactly what I'll do, but that's probably what I'm leaning towards. And it's probably what makes most sense right now. I know firsthand how exhausting it can be to manage all the tasks in my reselling business, like listing, bookkeeping, and more. But I found a solution that has given me back my time and allowed me to grow my business, hiring a virtual assistant. And now I want to share that solution with you. That's why I've created an online course called Hiring a Virtual Assistant for Your Reselling Business. With this course, you'll learn everything you need to know to find, train, and manage a virtual assistant like a pro. And because I want to make this course accessible to everyone, I'm offering a special coupon code, flip the script that gives you $10 off at checkout. 
don't miss out on this opportunity to take your reselling business to the next level. Sign up now at hiringava.com and let's enjoy the freedom and fun of growing our businesses together. Again, you can sign up at hiringava.com. Yeah. So, you know, the last couple of times that we spoke, you've always been a, or in the past few years have been a big Poshmark seller, right? That's been your primary platform that you sold on. You did mention that uh, in 2021, you started to sell on Depop. In the past couple of years, you know, I guess I'm curious where you're selling at now, especially since selling has changed a little bit. You know, there's now this element of live selling uh, through apps like Whatnot and Poshmark has their Poshmark Live and all sorts of other platforms that I'm probably not thinking of in this moment. So I'm curious, you know, where are you selling now? What's your main platform? Have you dabbled out into the world of live selling? What are your thoughts? So my main platform still remains Poshmark. It's kind of just my tried and true. And I think my account has been on there for 10 years. So, (laughs) and I've listed, you know, I think my all-time listings is over like 55,000 or something like this. So I just think in the algorithm that I'm, I'm in a good position there, mm-hmm. but it really, it really goes up and down. You really need to be pushing the buttons on that platform in order to keep yourself at the top and, and keep it going. You know, as soon as you stop pushing a button, it's like you don't exist there, which is very frustrating. So it's not a set it and leave it platform, but if you have the ability to push the buttons, then I think that it is really rewarding on there. I also sell on my own website, but that is not like a huge moneymaker for me. Mostly it's just posting some links on social media and sometimes somebody buys something, but it's not, it's not a ton, honestly. I do have Depop. I actually, when I was talking to you about it, I had a account called FWTs, which was just t-shirts. And that was like, another woman that I had working for me, she was just posting the t-shirts while she was also like manning the warehouse and stuff like that. So that was kind of temporary. We kept it up for a while. Something sold on there. Some things didn't, it was okay, but I didn't really consider it like any main source of income. And I eventually started a new Depop or sorry, I would say reverted to my oldest Depop, which was just kind of like my personal account from many, many, many years earlier and started posting, mm-hmm. cross-posting everything there. And I made a couple of sales in, in 2022, 2021 or whatever, but I did set a goal this year to cross-post more over there and to sell some more on that platform. And I I've done okay. I think this past week we did like 500 in sales on there, which is fine. We only have 400 listings. Nice. So not bad. And I love that it's primarily just full price sales there. Yeah. (laughs) Usually a ton of haggling for things. And where else am I selling? I mean, I think that's pretty much it. Honestly, I've sold a little bit on Facebook marketplace, but just, you know, here and there, just more like houseware type stuff, but I don't really like doing it because there's just too much talking involved (laughs) with the customers that Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of time. So yeah, I think I still prefer 
Poshmark overall, even over my own website. And that also has to do with them handling a lot of customer service and they're not being returns allowed, even though I know they happen on occasion, Right, uh, they're not allowed. And when you have your own website in order to be on Google and all these other things, you have to allow returns. You have to have a return policy. And I will tell you, I think the return request rate anyways, not that they're all granted, but the rate is like, I don't know, 20% or 30% of people requesting to return. Wow. Some months it's up to 50%. And I'm just like, this is bonkers. People are treating it like it's Amazon or any other site where they can buy it. They're like, well, there's no risk to me. I can buy it, get it, try it on if I don't like it, or I can wear it once and send it back or I can, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And I just had this happen to me again this week, actually, with a pair of shoes. And, you know, I told her, well, we don't, you know, we have certain things that we don't do returns or exchanges on and shoes is one of them because people put their feet in them. Frankly, I have to disinfect it when I get it back, no matter what, because, in order for me to sell it to my next customer, I need to be able to stand by that product again. And this happened to be a new tags pair of shoes, you know, she requests a return. I said, we don't usually do that. She's like, oh, you said that you could have returns, blah, blah. And I could just tell it was going to be a fight. And I'm like, whatever. She said she hasn't worn them. They're new with tags. I'll just relist them, right? Mm-hmm. I got them back. Of course they were worn. <laughs> the tags were removed. When I <laughs> no, like I can't return this for you because I can't resell it this way. And like your literal toe jam is in these shoes. Like I'm not (laughs) taking them back. And she was upset at me. She was like, how was I supposed to try them on without taking the tags off? And I said, how do you try shoes on anytime? What do you mean? I'm confused. Right. I only wore them on my parquet floors. And I'm like, I don't care what floor you wore them on. They're dirty. <laughs> like it's the bottoms are dirty. The insides are dirty. Like I don't, it doesn't matter how, what you did with them. It matters that they were worn. She was like refusing it. And I said, listen, I'm sending them back to you. I went into my post office and I told him what had happened. And I said, I don't want to accept this package. And he goes, okay, let me take a look at it. She had sent it media mail, right? Which <gasps> oh, <no. laughs> anyways, she sent it media mail. So he looked at, he's like, wait a minute, you can't send shoes media mail. And I said, I know this is how she sent it to me though. I just want to refuse them. And he's like, yeah, no problem. So he gets in there, he refuses it. Like it's going back to sender, covers my name up on it. So it can't be sent back to me, scans it into the system. And then he literally stamped all over it that there was postage due. He circled the thing being like, cannot send shoes this way, blah, 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 blah. Like wrote on it. I was like, oh my God, she's wow. going to be so mad when she gets this and she had already told me that she was gonna report me to Dunn and Broad Street or something look I had no idea what that even was and apparently it's like some <laughs> reporting agency for small businesses I'm like lady this is me and my best friend Dunn and Broad Street does not care I'm not I'm like I might as well be a lemonade stand to them you know like right so he sends it back to her with like the postage due or whatever. And, and I sent her a message on her messaging. And was like, yeah, this is getting sent back to you. And that's, it is what it is. So of course she opened up a chargeback and it's the first chargeback I've ever had on my store. And, you know, I don't know if people know what happens with the chargeback, but it's really bad for a business. First of all, they take the money instantly. You have, they believe the customer first and foremost, and they give them their money back. They also charge you a $15 fee. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the $46 shoes, it cost me like $67 or something like this. So it cost me, you know, more. I had to pay more for it. Then you have the option to refute it, right? To like try and fight it, which they're not easy to win from what I hear. Mm-hmm. But I was so like not happy about this situation and, and didn't want to be taken advantage of that I was like, you know what, fine, I'm going to take the time to do this. So I filled out their forms, I created an entire PDF filled with all of the proof before pictures, after pictures, our entire (laughs) conversation that proved that she said she removed the tags, that she wore the item, you know, the, the postage, the this, the that, literally everything. And then apparently the bank has like three months, three months or something, to like maybe get back to you and let you know their decision. Wow. Okay, so you haven't in heard. three months. I might get my forty-five dollars back, but I'm not going to get the fifteen dollars back. You know, and I'm not going to get. I I get free shipping, so I'm not going to get my shipping back that I paid either. And it's like, right. you know, all of this over a forty-five dollar pair of shoes. And trust me, before I sent them back to her, I contemplated just refunding her. But I was like, no, on principle, like I'm sick of people taking advantage of of things like mm-hmm. this. And you shouldn't be wearing things and sending them back with any business because it's extremely. Well, yeah. And I don't know why people have come to this conclusion where they're like, I can order all of these different things, try them all on or even wear it and send it back. And then I don't have to pay anything. And it's like, yeah. you're dooming a lot of things to the garbage by doing that and and I also I mean it's stealing in my opinion but you know people have ethics based around that you know based on you know consumerism and oh what do you call it um oh my brain is fried yeah I mean I think that there's this culture that's created over well past 20 years, but probably more so in the past 10 years of people, you know, with websites like Amazon and stuff like that, with people essentially just renting items. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, screw capitalism. And I'm like, yeah, okay, good. Yeah. Screw capitalism. But like, in what way is my small business? (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, yeah, you're a small, small, you're not Jeff Bezos. Like I have, I am living at the lower middle class, barely coming into the middle class in my entire life. You know what I mean? So it's like, I'm not that. So it's not right to do that to like a small business and to take advantage in that way. It's really hard to build into your margins, somebody renting your stuff for free and then damaging Mm -hmm. it or, you know, whatever store too with people trying things on they you know it's another aspect of the stores that they will try things on get makeup on it rip it I mean Mm -hmm. I've even had people like rip things and come out and hand it to me and be like oh I don't know the belt loops on this just came off when I was trying it on I'm like what (laughs) oh no goodness like what what happened you know or there's stains in the crotch of something when they come out of the dressing room um or there's armpit stains like sweat all over it and things like that it's like to dry clean things repair things it's all very expensive and it when you're selling one-off products reselling and trying to do secondhand that makes a huge dent in any profit that you would make yeah I think that you brought up that's a good point of the challenges that you can face when you have a brick and mortar store as opposed to an online shop right we might get irritated by 
when an item is returned and it's not returned in the condition that we sent it out in. But if you have a brick and mortar store, you have people coming in and potentially damaging items that they're not even going to buy. They're just trying it on, which, you know, retailers face all the time. If we think about, you know, large department stores like Macy's, Nordstrom, stuff like that. I'm sure they deal with this stuff or all the time. However, right. Again, going back to, we are not them. <laughs> we do not have the profits they have. Yeah. And so if somebody comes on into your store and tries on a dress and all of a sudden there's those white markings from their deodorant all down the side of the dress, we've all seen that, right. You know, on a darker garment or even a lighter garment. Now it becomes your problem and it didn't even sell. Right. Right. So now it's, it's cost you more time and money than what it cost you initially, which I, yeah, I don't think people think about when they, when they're just running their small reselling business online. Right. Sorry. Yeah. And that, that is one of the benefits of, of Poshmark that I see over other platforms is that you can't return for fit. You can't return for a lot of reasons, unless something's really misrepresented. And in that case, like, you know, if you have proof, you can present it and sometimes win those cases as well. But it's, I just feel like the return rate is so much lower on there for me. So here's a question for you. Being someone that has been a user on the platform so long, you've seen so many different iterations of the platform, right? You know, you've seen, you've seen a lot of stuff and, you know, there's been a lot of changes over the past few years. The company went public and then now back to private because they were bought by another company. You know, they never, well, you had to manually share your closet, but now they've built in tools to auto share your closet to some degree you know, kind of some stuff that they said that they maybe wouldn't do, but they do now. I'm trying to say this most delicately that I can, especially thinking of the promoted closets, which is now in beta, which I, I just have been recently trying out myself. And I, I think you've been trying out as well. So then talking about returns, I know it's hard to predict, but do you think they will ever take returns? I hope not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know. It's, it's a hard one to give a <laughs> hard and fast stance on. I don't think so because I think for them, it would also really hurt their bottom line ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And I think what they have in place right now, they still probably get a decent amount of returns or people complaining about things or, you know, whatever. I mean, the color isn't the same color or this smells like smoke, things that you can't really like prove or disprove in a sense that will get somebody a return out of it. But I just, I don't think that they will change it from not allowing returns for like fit and for Mm -hmm. other certain things. Right. So I think they do allow returns. It's just only for certain things like misrepresentation. They do allow them. It's just not unless one of those things happens, right? Right. If it's not as described in some way. Right. I still think it's taking care of the customer, but then it's stopping people from being able to wear and send back and also from, you know, just not liking something and it not fitting them, like, which would be, we would have a much higher return rate. And I don't think customer can afford that either. 
Right. I mean, I guess that's part of it as well. It's just because if we look at the other platforms that do accept returns, you know, what makes those other platforms different is that the platform doesn't generally generate the label for the buyer and seller. You know what I mean? And so it, in some ways, I think would have to change the way that their shipping works also. I think those things would have to kind of go together. Well, I know that they, you know, have a contract with USPS that I believe is up next year in 20 spring of 2024. So I would predict that once that one is up, that they will be at least negotiating something that allows us to ship internationally. At least that's my prediction. I mean, Poshmark has Poshmark uh, UK already happening. You know, they have a lot of other places and I'm sure they would be open to having, you know, shipping to all of those places. Right now their contract, Mm -hmm. I think is what actually holds them back from that. I mean, I can neither confirm or not, but that's my theory is that this contract is only for shipping within the United States and that they can't really like change it, you know, in order to maintain the price or agreement that they have with USPS. I'm forgetting the question. (laughs) No, I mean, I kind of didn't leave it on a question, but that's just good information to know. I mean, I think that that will hopefully continue to expand sales for all of us. So hopefully it's a good thing. (laughs) Um, Provided what countries it ends up opening up to because you know I know that there's certain countries that you can or can't ship to or or dependent on the rates as well you know what I mean if they're able to get rates that are affordable because again not sure what sort of I mean because here in the U.S. we use priority mail which is the fastest one of the more expensive forms of sending packages so it'll I'm a little curious what they'll what they'll end up using for that Uh, in terms of the promoted listings it's probably too early to have an opinion on it. Are you, are you liking it or not liking it? I'm not liking it. And I have some theories on why it doesn't work well for my closet and my business specifically. And in some other people's, I did ask on social media if people had insight on this and their own experiences so that I could kind of grasp and see if it backs up what I'm experiencing and what my theory is. And the theory is basically that, you know, Poshmark's search isn't always the best, especially if you're just typing something in and not getting specific down to a brand and and using the filters. When you do that, I think the search works well. When you're just mm-hmm. typing something in to search for something, it can be sometimes a little all over the place. And that's because I think their search is primarily pulling from all of the words that are in the title and the description, right? So if somebody's using a lot of keywords in their description, And especially if they're using a lot of keywords that aren't related to their product, it's going to get shown to people that it has nothing to do with what they're actually searching for, right? Mm -hmm. I use a ton of keywords and usually they're at the bottom, but I'm not saying I use keywords that aren't valid to the item, but we do use a lot and we'll use words like cute and pretty and beautiful and summery and nice and spring and fall and, you know, whatever whatever we can come up with to say, what could anybody search for that could lead them to this item, right? And I think because of that, a lot of the ad spend got eaten up by people clicking on things that they weren't actually originally looking for in the first place. And then them 
naturally not buying that thing because they were never looking for it in the first place. And they were just curious about it. Oh, that's cute. Let me take a look at the other pictures. Right. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure that can lead to you making sales from that. But overall, I think it's just putting my listings and other people's listings at the top of feeds and searches of people that are not actually searching for that item. So you might be getting a lot of eyes on it and you might be getting some clicks, but they aren't actually geared towards the person who's looking to buy your specific item. Because when right. I asked people were doing well with the program, like there are some people who did very well. I think one person told me that they, their ad spend was only $25 a week for it. And that over the trial, they did $900 in sales from it. And wow. is pretty much the exact opposite. It's like, I have $150 spend on my trial, which is way more, right? And I've gotten, I think, $330 in sales, and it's cost $280 to do that, <laughs> which makes no wow. sense. Because once you minus the 20% from the sales, you're negative. I have, though, stats saying I have like 250,000 views on my items and like 60,000, or I don't, I don't remember what it is, 6,000 clicks or something. It came out to six cents per click is what it was costing. But I have no idea what items were clicked on, no idea what items were promoted, no idea how it works or where they're being posted, because I don't see any promoted listings in, in the app on mine. When I search for anything, I don't see a single promoted listing, So I'm just not seeing that. I, I don't know where they are. So I have no idea what's going on. And most of the things that sold, sold for a smaller amount and were items that were either older or, you know. I got an offer on for even less, you know, so it wasn't many or any real big ticket items. And then, you know, somebody else who had spoken with Poshmark about it and to give them feedback said that they could neither confirm or deny that they didn't know whether or not people clicking on your sold listings (laughs) would, would count as clicks. Oh, it's like, well, why would our sold listings be promoted though? That doesn't make any sense, right? Right. So it's like, is your entire closet promoted while you're doing promotion beta? We have no idea how many items in my closet are promoted. You know, I don't know all of them. So any click that I get, no matter what, is then going to cost me six cents. Yeah. No, that's, but, yeah, well, that's weird. And I wouldn't <laughs> so, that on, yeah, and I wouldn't even pay for that type of advertising on items that are, you know, below $50 or something like this, right? Because it doesn't make sense. So it's really hard to have a full understanding of what they're even doing when they're not giving us any information. So for me, I, I will, you know, I have two days left on it and I'm absolutely canceling it because there's no way I'm paying $150 a week, which is what they suggest for my closet to make you know, less than $150 in sales each week from it, if that makes no sense. Well, yeah, that's the part that I thought was interesting is that the budgets from my experience looking at it, they're fixed. And so I actually couldn't, I, I couldn't choose any amount. I'm not sure if that's the same experience for you. Like you couldn't choose a $10 budget. No, for the trial, no. Afterwards, you can. Um. Oh, because when I was doing it, it was asking me to set my budget for after the trial. And I thought I was seeing that I 
couldn't dip below a certain amount. Maybe I'm looking at it wrong. I think you can't dip below $30 a week. It's much higher for mine. (laughs) Much higher. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. That's so weird. So mine said between 30 and a thousand dollars a week, I think it said, or something like this. Yeah. I was, I could choose somewhere, but then it had it like in the middle at, at, at 150 or something like that. That's where it said that it was suggested for the closet, my size, which I have like a, over 4,000 items listed on Poshmark. So that also doesn't really correlate with what I'm seeing in other people's experiences either. Is that what you experienced? Like what was, what's yours? Yeah. Well, similarly, I have over 4,000 items in mine and my budget is shockingly $500 a week. And do you feel like you made sales off of it? Did it work for you? Um, you know, I don't, I've been loosely looking at it, maybe not in the way that I thought it would have, but just to go back to what I was saying, when I go to change my budget, if I wanted to like lower it, I couldn't go below 300. What? Yeah. So I don't know if that's something for me that I would continue to do $300 a week. That's, that's wild. Yeah. Cause I would, I wouldn't want to do that much unless I was seeing a significant increase. So if that's going to be the case, for myself moving forward, then I don't know that it works for me. <laughs> this is something I can continue. Frankly, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even do it at the $30, frankly. Like, yeah, right. I mean, well, and, and that's, what's interesting is, so I don't understand because I have heard a lot of feedback from different folks about what their amounts are. And it kind of just seems to be all over the place. It, I, it almost seems like there's not a lot of rhyme or reason to it. Right. There's some, uh, who knows? Maybe they're just like th- casting a wide net <laughs> and trying different things on different ones. I really don't know, but that's yeah. part of the problem is that there's they're not giving us almost any information. So you're not allowing me as a business to make an informed decision for my business, right? I can't pay you for right. a service that I have no clue what you're doing with the money or where it's right. going. Clicking on like that that makes absolutely no sense. So yeah. Yeah, so I guess uh, you know, I when we do the update episode in a couple of years, we'll we'll reconvene <laughs> on how on how well this ended up working out for both of us. <laughs> It'll be completely run by AI by then, and <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be like promoting at like a thousand dollars a week. Or <laughs> oh gosh, I doubt it. I hope we have the sales to support that. I hope it yeah, makes sense. Sure. I'd have to be doing like a million dollars in sales to make, <laughs> but yeah. We'll be like, oh, remember when we turned our nose up at $500 a week? You <laughs> can dream. I know. Okay. So speaking more to the future, you talked about how, you know, with a store that when your lease is up, you're likely to not renew and you're kind of looking and exploring other options for kind of where you can have, you know, a little bit of work-life balance with the business in terms of separating it from your actual living space and everything, you know, are there any other plans or goals that you have for yourself for here we are halfway through 2023? Are there other things that you're thinking about? Yeah. You know, I, I feel like I'm in kind of like a limbo, a little bit of a transitional period in life. And, you know, what I had planned and what I had as a five-year and a 10-year plan 
you know, used to involve another human being that it doesn't involve anymore. So, you know, I'm trying to figure out then where I want to go and what I want to do, because that old plan isn't something I have to stick to anymore or that I, that I want to stick to anymore. So I think next year, if I don't have the shop front and if I'm, you know, whether or not I'm living here in this same space, doesn't really matter, but I want to do some more traveling again. And I think I want to, you know, I want to work my way towards having a business that can affect sustainability and fashion and in other directions as well with more than just reselling. And I don't know how to do that yet or what I'm going to do, but I just want to keep moving in that general direction, uh, whether that's like consulting or, you know, eventually maybe even working for another company. I've mm-hmm. thought about that a little bit. I, I, I kind of don't know if that's possible for me because <laughs> I've worked for myself <laughs> entire life. So I don't even know what that might look like. I mean, I have worked for other companies in the past. Like, I mean, I have had those, you know, quote unquote, big girl jobs and, and things, but, you know, usually not for long periods of time. You know, I used to work for an agency in marketing. So like I would work on a lot of different projects and that really worked well for me because I like to keep myself stimulated, you know, and things changing, having everything the same all the time, is really difficult for me. That makes it harder for me to work. And I also used to work for a huge makeup and cosmetic company. And I used to, you know, be the head of their PR in the US for a period of time. And I liked that job. But again, going into an office is a little bit difficult. But doing the PR was kind of nice because I was able to go and meet up with other companies that we might be partnering with. I was able to go out to the stores and speak with them and check on what's going on there. I also helped a little bit with their social media. So, you know, I wouldn't mind working with another company kind of in that capacity where it's not 100% where I'm sitting in an office five days a week, Mm -hmm. which I think you know, our entire country is kind of moving away from in, in full in a lot of different ways. So that's good because I just think, yeah, I just need more. I I don't think I can just sit there on a computer or something. It just wouldn't work for me, but yeah. So I don't know. I want to be able to like help more in the sustainability realm and, and also fashion realm than I can do on my own. And I think that that might mean partnering with or joining with another business and could also be another small business. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I mean, I I feel like, you know, these, if if anything, listening to these now three episodes over the years, I think that one thing people can gather from you is uh, your flexibility and openness to new and different opportunities and kind of not being afraid to just jump in and 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 see what's going to work and and try new stuff out which i think does really really admirable jade oh thank you yeah okay well my last question for you is if you could go back to when we last spoke in january of 2021 i'm curious what piece of advice you would have given yourself at that time that you would have you would feel would have been helpful or useful to you in some way I would have given myself the advice of learning more about my business in regards to the numbers (laughs) so that if I needed to take those over, (laughs) 
<laughs> have that knowledge. Um, <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Other advice that I would give to myself would be to probably work a bit more in the past year and a half, especially in 2022. That is the year like I separated from my husband. He lit, he left very early that year. And I basically was like, I'm the past previous few years, I had been working just so much, especially when he was here and couldn't have a job here. Right. Mm-hmm. I worked so, so, so much. And I was just like, I'm so sick of working, you know, 80 hours in a week. Like, I don't want to do it anymore. And I told myself, I want to work like 35, 40 hours. And I just basically said, Mm -hmm. you know, for 2022, that's what I was going to do. That did not help my business, obviously, with a person leaving and then me cutting back my own hours. You know, it obviously was detrimental, but I think that I needed it as a human being. So I don't necessarily regret Mm -hmm. it, but I would probably tell myself to, you know, not be so loose and free with it to maybe maybe cut down just a little bit less, you know, because I feel like this year I'm definitely paying for that. So I'm working a lot more again, but I feel happier too. Uh, And what else? Oh, I would tell myself to get on Poshmark lives and be consistent with them from the very beginning. Yeah. Opportunity there that was definitely missed. And yeah, so that was something I would probably tell myself to do. You know, in, in regards to 2022, when you said you kind of would have worked more during that time, but that personally you needed it, I guess for lack of a better term, do you feel like you had some burnout that was happening? Definitely. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was in more than one way, you know, it was from a relationship ending. It was from, you know, trying to keep up with having the responsibility of so many things on my shoulder, my shoulders. And I just wanted less <laughs> of that. I wanted to feel less intensity, less stress because I had been so stressed for years and, and it wasn't just work. I thought it was primarily work, but then I quickly realized that it wasn't the the main cause was not work, you know? It's still have my stresses from it, but not like other things my personal life caused me. So it's, it's better overall for me mentally, emotionally, physically. Now I'm in a much better place. It's just that my business is not in its best place. Yeah. And I think from, you know, through the years when we spoke and, and last time that we spoke in January, 2021, you talked about how the business had been really successful for the past couple of years or the past year for sure. And, mm-hmm. you know, what I've gathered from talking to people through that time is that, uh, you know, some people had a lot of success during the early parts of the pandemic, which was kind of surprising, you know, maybe would have sounded surprising at the time. But because of that, they worked a lot. <laughs> there was a lot of work that went into it. And it's almost like, you know, those same people that I talked to then about their experience now is that they just want to chill. You know, they're coming out of it and they really, they needed this recovery period because they worked harder than they ever worked during that time. 
yeah, in the year 2020 and 2021 were like probably the most I ever worked in my entire life. Those two mm-hmm. years specifically were really, really intense. You know, Anna and I were sometimes doing 12 to 16 hours a day, six days a week in warehouses. Mm-hmm. And we were moving things, lifting things, climbing on things, sorting things. I mean, the work just never ended. And yeah, it, it was, it was a lot. We made good money and it helped propel us forward, you know, to having the store, to creating some financial stability, to being able to get a different apartment than I had lived in for 10 years, which was a 200 square foot studio, you know, it was really difficult to run a business in. So we did what we needed to do, but yeah, it did cause burnout. And then you have less motivation when less people are buying things as well. If you see a lot of things moving and the money coming in, you're like, oh man, I will just kick my butt into gear and do it. Because to me, it's like when it's there to be had, seize the opportunity. And then when it slows down, you know, I guess that's an opportunity for you to also kind of slow down a little bit, but fine tune things. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a good point. It's just fine tuning it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then with the the Poshmark lives, just because we didn't talk about it really, you know, you said you would have started it early. I mean, do you feel like there's missed opportunity now because you didn't jump on it? I mean, I, I think so, but I think that there's still plenty of opportunity left and not just on Poshmark, you know, on, on whatnot and on TikTok specifically. I think that there's a lot of opportunity. You can't bid on TikTok though. So that's, you know, a whole other conversation and selling on there, you know, it changes your account and, you know, so many reasons as to why it's a bit difficult, but it's great for people who sell either very high-end luxury resale or for people who are selling multiples of things, you know, like drop shipping, mm-hmm. like that. But I still think the opportunity is there. I'm just saying I would have started first thing with Poshmark because I think those that didn't stay consistent are doing really well now have made a lot of money over the past. It's been less than a year that Poshmark has had their lives. I also couldn't start right from the beginning because for some reason they didn't switch it on in my account, even though I was part of the beta. And then Mm. it took months before they got back to me basically and I was able to get on. So, you know, it is what it is and there's no point in dwelling on it, but I probably would have just pushed to keep emailing earlier had I known the opportunity would be what it was. And sometimes you don't know. And I, even overall, even still now, lives are a lot of work. They're a different type of selling and you have to put on a show. You have to be on and it's a lot more exhausting and draining. And I, when I do it, I also find myself, um, you know, sleeping through a good part of the next day. Cause sometimes I'll be on for seven hours until like, 12, 1, 2 in the morning. And I'm exhausted. Wow. And then you don't feel like doing other work. So, because you're so, there's so much talking and so much interaction. And so, you, you know, you're there by yourself. So it's not like somebody can respond to you. So you have to continuously keep it up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, seven hours. I'm just trying to comprehend seven hours. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that's a long time. Yeah. And then prepping the shows takes a long time too. Right. 
I'm not the type of person who can just, I, I've tried, but it's so hard for me to just like slap some things in there and put it on, you know? I'm like, right. no, I have to plan it. And I have to like take the photos and I have to make the listings and I have to have my process. So I don't know, maybe it's not for me in the long run, but I'll keep trying for now. Yeah, no, I, I, I you know, I've talked about it with a few different people on the podcast and, you know, it's a great form of selling for those who enjoy live selling. I don't know. I don't think it's hard to, to say, well, do you think it's the future of selling? Because I, I don't think there's just going to be a hard and fast line in the sand for it where traditional online selling goes away. I think that both will continue to coexist because there are people who will never want to be in front of a camera, right? And, and so for that reason, their items won't be available in that way. But in the same breath, I think some people have found that it really works for them, you know, for their life or, you know, as their a, business as a, model. As a consumer of them, like, you know, I sometimes buy things from them, especially supporting my friends and things like that. You know, there are a lot of things that I don't like about it as somebody who likes to buy things, you know, it's like, I, yeah. you know, I don't like when they're not preloaded. I don't like sitting there and waiting and like wasting the time. It's taking up like the screen time for me. That doesn't make sense for me in shopping. Right. Um, so unless you value it also as a form of entertainment, which I generally don't. So I prefer to just get on there and buy what I want to buy, like the item, go there when it's ready to be sold and buy it. I can't sit through a live where none of the stuff is loaded and I have no idea what's coming. And it's like, surprise, surprise. Oh, you wait a couple and then there's something really cool. But then, you know, then there's like 15 things not in your size even. And it's like, okay, well, I just stayed on here for an hour and a half and there was nothing I wanted to buy, nothing I could even buy because it's not my size or it's not my style or whatever. So unless they're preloaded, honestly, I, it, I have a very hard time participating in them as a consumer. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that, yeah, same. As a consumer, for me, I it's tough because then, right, once your item finally becomes available, once they put it up for the auction, then you've got to bid and you don't know if you're going to win because somebody else might want it just as bad as you. And so, yeah, I, you know, yeah, it's not for me. Yeah. <laughs> not as a consumer. As I've a also seller, felt like I'm paying more for things than I would otherwise, you know, right. put up in it and I'm like, this is just not. Yeah, I prefer a little bit more control, but that, you know, then again, here we are two resellers. I mean, it's, you know, know. you can't, we're, we're already going to be price sensitive customers in that way. So yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jade. This has been such a fun conversation. I love getting to do this as a third update and I, hopefully you'll indulge me in another update episode in 2025. I mean, it's crazy to even think that far ahead. It's wild to think this is the third time over, gosh, four, five, whatever it is, years now. I, and that's crazy to think that, yeah, we've done three episodes at this point, but a fourth will have to be in order. So thank you so much. Well, we'll do it in 2024, hopefully. If you don't take it, if you don't take a nap. Oh, okay. <laughs> God willing that the podcast doesn't take another nap. No, no, well, hopefully not. I'm, I'm almost at my hundredth episode. So Whoa. I know pretty exciting. I just heard a stat the other day that most podcasts don't make it past the third episode. 
and you're in the upper 1% if you make it to 20 episodes. So I'm feeling pretty good. I know. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Yeah, thanks. You're a consistent person, though. See, you you do well with consistency. Well, sometimes. If it was my podcast, I'd be like, you'll get an episode when I feel like it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'd stick around for that. So I don't know. Start the podcast and uh, we'll take them when you drop them. How's that sound? Okay, sure, sure, sure. (laughs) All right. Well, I will talk with you later, friend. Thank you again. All right. Sounds good. Bye. Okay. Bye. Thank you again to Jade for being on this week's episode of the podcast. Again, you can find Jade on Instagram under the username Fashion Without Trashin, and all of that information will be in the show notes for you. I hope y'all are having a wonderful week. I can't believe we are almost at the end of July and that summer is halfway over. I hope you're getting some time to rest and relax in between all of the work that you might be doing. I know this has been a little bit of a slow season for all of us, so I hope that your back to school and fall sales start kicking in soon. But until next time, keep on listing and keep on selling.